Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Data. On the show today, I'm joined by Catherine. Catherine is the head of data for an organization that I'm sure you're all very, very familiar with called Catch. If you haven't bought anything from there, I'd be very, very surprised. Most of us have at some point bought something through catch.com. The topic that we're going to cover today is around the importance of having a data strategy that meets your business needs. Um, And the interesting thing about Catherine is she's worked across a number of different domains, which means the um, experience that she brings in this topic is, you know, applicable to um, all sorts of organisations. She's worked across government, banking, and obviously more recently within an online retail organisation. So I'm looking forward to sharing her experience around the different things um, that you need to consider when having a data strategy, what challenges you might face, and um, being realistic about what you include in that as well. So I hope you really enjoy the show. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks, Raina, for having me. Um, look, as I do with all my guests, um, I always uh, like to get you to introduce yourself because I can never do it justice. So I'll get you to give um, give the listeners a bit of a background um, and just introduce yourself and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so thanks again for having me. I'm Catherine Galifa. I'm the Head of Data and Analytics at CATCH, uh, part of the West Farmers Group. You will hopefully know about Catch um, and been doing some Christmas shopping online. <laughs> um, I've been with Catch um, just for three months, so still feel um, fairly new. And prior to Catch, I spent the last four years at WorkSafe uh, Victoria as their Chief Data and Analytics Officer, and then 12 years of banking uh, before that. So big change for me moving from uh, corporates and government uh, into a really fast-paced tech company e-commerce environment. So um, it's been a real change, but um, a welcome change. Great, and look, that's um, the, that's great that you've sort of worked in different industries because um, you know I think most people think that you can sort of only move alongside in in the same domains. But it's um, yeah, it's great to see that you've been able to move from such different you know um, different sort of um, industry backgrounds um, and. At the end of the day, uh, it's the same methodologies, it's the same techniques, usually similar business problems as well, um, just a different industry flavour. So I think yeah, data and analytics is a really translatable skill across industry. Yeah, and look, and that's why I think today's topic that we're sort of going to cover is um, is is really relevant and um, would like you said, it's it's very transferable to all organisations, but it'd be really interesting to see what might differ from different industries as well, um, given that it's, uh, you know, a, a, a topic that, you know, would every organisation would need to incorporate into their um, into their data analytics function. It'd be great to hear your views on what would be sort of unique to different types of organisations as well. Um, but before we get into that, um, can you I think of a couple of things that you believe may have shaped your career today? Ooh, okay. Um, I think, um, let me have a think about that. Um, certainly leaders that I've had along the way um, have imparted uh, their knowledge and experience to me in different ways. And I think uh, I always come back to my very first leader who was really strong on advocating for one's own personal development and sort of career plan. And um, I'm really grateful that I had those um, or that that foundation to begin with where I knew every week in my one-on-one he'd be asking me, what have you done on your development plan um, to help further your skills and um, encouraged me at that time to start thinking about what my next opportunity 
should be or could be um, sort of 18 months into role um, so that you're then sort of on the lookout for for that next move. So I think those um, those are things that I wish I saw more in, in some of my teams along the way, that yeah. personal ownership and accountability for development. Um, and advocating for your own career as well. I think um, there was one time where I was an analyst at the time. We were in the market for a manager um, of the team that I was in. Uh, it was three or four job grades above my analyst role. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, this person's going to come in and they're not going to know anything. I'm going to know more than them. They're not yeah. going to bring anything to the table. It's so annoying. <laughs> and we spent some time in market. We couldn't find anybody. And then I mentioned to my boss, you know, I'll do it. He said, yeah. well, why didn't you tell me? You would have saved us the trouble of going to market. And so yeah. that was a lesson for me about you know, no one can read your mind. So if you want an opportunity, you need to advocate for for the the dreams and um yeah and and for what your next opportunity could be and what's the worst that can happen yeah put it on the radar and um and when something appropriate does come up then you're front of mind so I um again always pass on that that encouragement to my teams about um yeah being vocal about the things that you want and you know having a go and putting up your hand um, and then I think just about data and analytics in general, I was, again, really lucky to find my passion and fall into data and analytics sort of early on in my career um, as, you know, it was called data mining at that stage, not data science. And before yeah. the big data um, marketing um, uh, term, so, yeah, before marketing got their hands on the industry, Um and I just fell in love with it. And so I'm, I'm really, really grateful that I absolutely love what I do as well. So um, I think if you don't love what you do, then have a think about what really drives and motivates you and think about a career change. Yeah, absolutely. And it probably leads on to, to the next question that I always ask is, what are you most passionate when it comes to data? Obviously, you said you sort of fell into it. Um, but what is what elements or what element of data do you you find really fascinating or are you really passionate about? I think the, the thing that really works for me is that it is the intersection between computer science, maths, and business acumen. And so you can take your technical skills, you know, are a competitive advantage above those that don't have the technical skills. And so you can bring something to the table there where you can really add value. You can then um, translate that into the business applications um, through understanding what the business priorities are and looking for ways to turn that insight into action. And so early on in my career, I was deciding, do I want to go down an analytical path or do I want to go down a project management path? Because I really enjoyed organising and controlling things. And I think with analytics, it, it's both. It brings both together. You get the satisfaction of doing the geeky stuff, um, but then you also get, you know, the satisfaction of seeing things implemented and actually driving business value so you know that's what I think really resonates with me about our industry yeah and it's su it is such a fascinating um you know a professional profession to be in um one of the things I've learned over the years having dealt with professionals and, and leaders is that I think it's grown a lot from being sort of a back office we're required to do this to provide reports and visibility about what these reports mean to really how can you help us actually make the right decisions. Like it's just changed so much um, and it's become such a central key part of any organisation um, and, yeah. um, and just the impact that, you know, the insights and the information that, you know, that you guys can sort of provide is yeah it's just yeah it's just mind-blowing so yeah it's definitely a really really interesting space um now one of the topics we were going to talk about I know when we caught up um you know one of the things you mentioned that you were quite passionate about is is data strategy and what that looks like and what that means um so that's the topic that we're sort of going to unpack a little bit today around um you know, uh, what is a data strategy? What does it look like? You know, what what do you need to consider? So from your perspective, um, Catherine, what does a data strategy mean to you? So um, I really struggled with this in my first sort of leadership roles because I would see data strategies that spoke more to, I guess, data principles 
and spoke to um, the principles of an organisation around you know, having quality data and having um, uh, lineage and all of those sort of data management principles or data governance principles, um, and then all the way through to a broader strategic roadmap around applications of data and analytics. And so for me, I guess where I've landed, for me, a data strategy is really about taking your corporate strategy and your strategic priorities and translating that into the data and analytics capabilities that are needed to successfully deliver those outcomes. And so it covers the breadth of all of the people elements, the process elements, and the technology elements that might be needed to build up that data and analytics capability over time to enable those business outcomes. And so structurally, generally, we'll look at, you know, starting with your corporate strategy about, well, what are the goals um, with as much clarity as possible, um, describing um, what those goals are, and then where the current state is, so what are the challenges of today, and then identifying strategies to solve for each of those outcomes, again, across people, process and tech. Um, so that's generally what I think of as a data strategy. And within that, you'll have those things that I spoke about, sort of describing what are the, the critical data elements that are needed to be able to um, deliver that strategy, um, what are your guiding principles around quality and lineage and um, ownership and all of those sorts of data governance elements. I think of those as a, a subset of the overall data strategy. Excellent. Now, you talked about, obviously, um, in ensuring that the data strategy aligns with the corporate strategy. Do you believe there's an opportunity um, for the data, the corporate strategy to have involvement from the data professionals before it's sort of set? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And where I've seen it done um, really well before, your corporate strategy should have data and analytics woven throughout the narrative. You want it integrated. You don't want one strategy and then a separate piece to deliver it. You want it yet to be really well integrated so that you're, I guess, um, yeah, tight, tightly knitting those two things together. So you can't achieve your corporate strategy without your data and analytics strategy. So I think, yeah, and, and, because the business doesn't always know the possibilities of what can be done with data and analytics too. So you want to get in front of that yes. um, and provide some prompters and suggestions and recommendations um, to help shape the corporate strategy in the initial sense and then, yeah, tie that then to the, or tie the, the data and analytics strategy piece then to the, the corporate strategy that should, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the reason why I ask that is because quite often, um, you know, some organisations would have their corporate strategy. This is what we want to do. This is where we want to go. And then you get your, your data function come in and try to incorporate that and deliver that. Whereas where you see it being done well is where they're heavily involved in what that strategy looks like. But being able to provide them with the possibilities, the opportunities, um, and, and looking at the things that they perhaps didn't look at previously. So, um, yeah, no, that, that's kind of why I want to sort of highlight that point because I think it's such an important one, uh, particularly for executives to ensure that, you know, that, that data leaders are included in that discussion very early on, um, to be part of that process. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and, and ensure, I think, as well as part of that, that it's possible to, um, you know, for, um, you know, data and analytics to play a part in that because sometimes they think you can and it's not possible because you don't have the tools, you don't have the processes in place, um, but it's also a big part um, making sure that you can actually um, be part of that journey. Yeah, yeah. Or it may be possible, but it's a longer-term goal yes. and there is some, yeah, immediate value that you could be getting that um, you could be prioritising above those longer-term initiatives. Yeah. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in terms of sort of, you know, data strategy, um, you know, it's a word that, you know, obviously is, is you know, very, very key to any any organisation in terms of making sure that you've got a, a good solid roadmap. What makes a good data strategy in your opinion? Um, so I think firstly, as we've been talking about, it needs to be that tight knitting to the business strategy um, because you need to remain relevant. If it's full of um, you know, innovative 
ideas um, that you want to test and learn and some will get up and some won't, um, then it's really discretionary. And so when times get tough, um, that's the first thing to go. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an element of that in there because that's really your sales pitch. Um, That's the interesting stuff that you can trot out in front of execs um, instead of, you know, your data lake, which they're not that interested in. So you need to have that there, um, but it needs to be more than just fancy, um, you know, shiny stuff. Um, So, yeah, it needs to be really tightly anchored to that business strategy. Um, And it needs to be about choices as well. So we can't be everything to everyone. Um, I think it's really important to to understand who are we trying to um, enable from a a stakeholder perspective? Is it every business unit or are there certain business units internally that we want to focus on? Um, Understanding personas as well. So how do personas within the organisation consume data what are the decisions that they're trying to make, the actions they're trying to take, um, and designing the analytics products and, and capabilities to meet those needs. So I think it's definitely sort of personalising and tailoring um, to the different um, uh, personas of, of your business. Um, I think it needs to have sort of stages or horizons um, so that you've got a really clear focus about the next 12 months is about simplification and automation or it's about, you know, building our data foundations or whatever it might be. And then only once we've done that, we've got a ticket to play in the next phase. Um, And then finally, it needs to have clear and measurable outcomes um, because you're generally going to need some investment. um, And in order to get investment, you need to demonstrate returns. So you need to have, yeah, really clear um, descriptions of what people are getting and when and in business terms as well again you if you come to the table with um you'll have a data lake in 12 months it doesn't mean anything to a board or an executive team um so it needs to be presented in terms of what are you getting from a, a business what can you do in 12 months that you can't do today yeah yeah um and with um a data strategy what things or what elements um, should a data strategy cover, i.e., you know, obviously um, you, you talked about the different stages that you need to look at is, as in, you know, what's the current state, what do you want to achieve, what are the outcomes, but what sort of components do you need to consider? I mean, data governance, security, you know, improving efficiencies, business opportunities, all those kind of things are key parts. From your perspective, if somebody was looking at putting a data strategy together, what are the kind of key elements that they need to um, ensure that it is incorporated into that? So I think um, if you sort of take the structure that we, we spoke about earlier, you need to have a bit of background and context around, you know, what's what your organisation does, presenting your corporate strategy, um, understanding what you've got today in terms of capability and where you know, where that's impacting um, your ability to be able to do things. And then when you're covering um, challenges of today as well as the, the strategies or options of consideration for the future, um, again, I take that sort of people process tech lens. So, people perspective, what are the roles that you're going to need, um, the old age discussion around centralisation, decentralisation, yeah. federated model, yeah. now what's the best um, organisational structure um, to support the business? And for me, that depends on where you are at from a maturity perspective. If you're proposing to build capability, um, then I prefer a centralised model where you can have all of your um, analytics professionals together and so you can be building capability, um, but then down the track, then um, disseminating those those people out to the business in more of a federated or hub and spoke sort of model, um, so that they're really you know getting in touch with with what's happening in the business. So the people side of things, you know, roles and structure um, is really important, and even more important, I guess, um, with the, the current market challenges, it is such a hot market. Um, so I think, you know, spending some good time thinking about your talent strategy, how you're going to attract and retain talent, um, I think we have to think a bit differently about that now. Um, I haven't cracked the nut yet, but I, I do think that it's something that we we need to adapt um, our strategies to to how we can retain a team of, um, you know, 
competent professionals in such a hot market. But yes. that's probably a topic for another time. Um, <laughs> on the process side of things, so um, you've got, I guess, your delivery methodologies around sort of agile deliveries is the popular approach um, nowadays. But really understanding is your demand process intake prioritization. Um, generally, as analytics teams, we're dealing with broad stakeholder sets with competing priorities. And so that's a really big piece about understanding how you're going to um, receive demand, how you're going to assess it and prioritise it and allocate your very slim resources uh, to the most important things. So that's a big piece. And then the processes just around how do you um, maximise productivity and speed to outcome um, in a well-managed, well-governed way. Um, so those sorts of processes and then um, the tech side of things what's your architecture look like Um, what sort of components do you need for future Um, is it something you need to purchase and then you've got you know um, SaaS options versus um, implementation and maintaining yourselves you've got open source versus proprietary software Um, you've got you know it's such a range of um, different vendors in market now that um, it can be really um, a bit scary, I guess, yeah. if, you, if you're new to that space about how do I pick the right thing? And my advice there would be, you know, the only wrong decision is no decision. So um, pick a tech and run with it. And generally you, you'll be able to make a return within a year or two mm-hmm. um, that justifies the initial spend, but just build with portability and um and yeah, and uh, transferability in mind, so that if you are going to pivot down the track, that it's not you know a huge migration effort. Mm-hmm. So they're just a few of the things. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, thank you for pointing those out. I just wanted to cover those because I think if individuals are sort of new in this type of role, or they're you know being or, or are part of the process of of helping to uh, put together the data strategy, it just gives individuals an idea of all the different elements to cover. Um, and given that you've done this uh, you know a few times in your career already, um, I thought it'd be great to sort of share. Um, in terms of when you know, obviously when you when you when you've done and rolled out your data strategy, what are the things that you think? Uh, what common challenges do you think a data strategy could highlight? I think there really are um, some common challenges, and and I'm um, quick to point them out because uh, and you'll if you attend conferences and meetups and those sorts of things, you'll know we're all talking about the same things. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's not rocket science, so. I think in general, the, you know, single common truth um, demand always exceeds supply. And so um, when you're thinking about your strategy, it's not always realistic to be able to think about growing your team of people as demand grows. So that's where you need to be thinking about the process and tech side of things and how you achieve economies of scale um, without you know, having a reliance on continuing to grow the team. Not saying that you shouldn't have team growth. You obviously will need to increase the team as demand increases, but um, you, you're never going to be able to secure that many resources in such a hot market um, to grow at the rate of of demand growth, I suppose. Um, so that one's always there. You've always got, you know, an analytics team that just can't get to all of the demand. Um, the team is stressed. Um, there's always an element of manual overhead that they're performing. Um, might be tons, might be a little bit. There's always some there. And so that leads to inefficiencies in the team um, and creates single point dependencies as well on individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in a hot market, you know, really hard to retain IP as people are moving on and coming and going. Um, and so you really need to, to focus on uh, reducing those single point dependencies. Yeah. Um, and then it's not always about the complaints. <laughs> There's always a piece about opportunity as well or opportunity cost. Um, and so this, this feeling from an organisational perspective, that there's value that we're leaving on the table. There's all of this potential in, in data just waiting to be unlocked. Um, and there's always an element, I guess, of use cases that talk to, you know, the things that we could do if we just had this capability. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's, it's important to be able to balance the complaints about current state and, you know, just the challenges that we face into, but also the promise of what we could be doing and our potential if, if we were able to, to grow the capability. 
Absolutely. And I think um, it's not unusual for organisations to, um, you know, be at any stage, be very much in a very reactive um, sort of state where they're just responding to requirements and transitioning from that to being proactive and driving value. You know, that's the that's ultimately where I know that, you know, data professionals and data leaders want to get to is you want to move away from that sort of reactive. Let's just you know, churn up this report to actually going, sitting down with the business and talking to them about what they want and and making sure that you've already got that and you're already covering that BAU stuff. That's just a standard automated report. But then the stuff that you're really working on is, you know, what do those numbers mean? How do you help yeah. them? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, often- and, and, and probably the other big one that I missed, maybe because I'm now in um, tech company mode, is um, legacy systems. Yeah. So banking and you know long, yeah. um, long tenured organisations are dealing with sprawl of technology and, and legacy systems um, while trying to create a modern architecture as well, and that's a, a really tricky balance too. Grateful I don't have that one at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I think you know a lot of large corporates who who do have a lot of legacy systems will, will you know, will, will no doubt have this because you know ha- you, there's just no way to be able to go back and. Um, consolidate all of that but you also need to retain the information so I think it is yeah absolutely it's definitely something that can creep in um, and in terms of I suppose um, quantifying the value of data and analytics to an organization's bottom line um, how you know from your perspective how do you do that? I think firstly you have to do that <laughs> and um, I think sometimes as analytics professionals we can now, I generalise, but we can have a touch of perfectionism um, and so we don't feel comfortable putting numbers out there unless, you know, they've been strictly modelled and, yeah. you know, we can explain the minutiae of that, the calculations. You've just got to get comfortable at some ballpark calculations and I um, perhaps flippantly refer to um, the prove me wrong approach, which really just, I'm not advocating that people lie. Uh, but I'm saying that you need to have a level of comfort uh, about the calculations that you can rationalise why you've come up with that number. Mm-hmm. And then if someone wants to challenge it, that's the prove me wrong element. If you don't believe it, then prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. If you've got something better, um, a better calculation or a better way of determining the value, then I'm all ears. But if you don't, then this is the number that I can rationalise um, at a high level. So I think you, we have to get comfortable at that back of the envelope calculation um, and at least put something out there and at the very least um, talk about an order of magnitude on the return on investment. So um, as I was saying earlier, a data analytics strategy, if you're building capability, you're going to need investment and so yeah. you need to have some sort of number on the table about the the sort of return that's being um, expected. So, yeah, even if it's a, a, a you know threefold return or a tenfold return or whatever it might be, if you can yeah. have some sort of number um, or a value range, even then that's that's better than nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and in terms of when things you know go wrong, because they you know they often can. Um, you know what what happens when um, you know or or when things do go wrong, like what, you know, what are the things that you think contribute to that? I, I think um, from memory, there are lots of stats in the market and they're pretty appalling about the success rate of digital transformation mm. projects in particular. Um, and I think they come down to, to a few things. I think because you're so closely anchoring to business strategy that if you have an unclear strategy or one that's priorities change frequently, then it's really hard to maintain momentum and clarity of your your data strategy. So I think that's a real problem. So you need to have really good leadership, stability of your your strategy and your messaging. Um, For, you know, these things take years. So it needs to be quite stable in that sense. I think the big one for me is when expectations don't align with budget. So, um, you know, traditionally consulting approach with your strategy, you'll have three different options. Mm-hmm. You want them to choose the middle one. Um, and quite frequently you'll get asked, you know, to 
deliver the outcomes with half of the forecast um, cost yeah. uh, or investment. Um, and I think more and more leaders, analytics leaders, are less willing to even say yes to those opportunities because you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Um, things cost money. Um, there are certainly um, choices that can be made to do things cheaper or, um, you know, leverage more of the tech stack that you've got or um, phase things so that you're building value and investing, you know, as you go. But at the end of the day, things are going to cost money. So if you're not willing to put the investment in, then don't expect the outcomes. So I think as leaders, we've got to be really clear that as budgets are cut, there are trade-offs in terms of the, the scope and the or timing or um, cost of delivery. Um, and then I think the third one is, you know, wavering commitment. As I was saying, things take time. And so you can't expect to see things overnight. And so there needs to be a commitment to, you know, a good three-year probably strategy to really enact true business change. Yeah. Um, and the difficult part's not building the tech. The difficult part's the business change, the people yeah. change. Um, and it's probably the the part that we're least competent in from an analytics professional industry yeah. perspective. So I think, yeah, that's another element that lack of investment in change management means you build a whole lot of things, but they don't get adopted and you don't actually realise the business value. So you know, that's one that I think, yeah, it's not always on our radar and, you know, you can really afford to double down on any investment in change management, it will never go to waste. You can't over-communicate. You can't, yeah, over-engage um, with people on on the behaviours that, that you want to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just on that, I mean, look, I mean, obviously being in recruitment, you know, we we get a lot of requirements from from clients and most of those, m- most of those roles, particularly if they're not sort of back-end developer roles, typically have a change element in there. So, you know, you need this person to be a bit of a change agent. And you just said, you know, it's not something that's um, inherently um, part of a data professional's sort of characteristics, right? So, but then you you don't necessarily see change champions in functions when you're trying to drive data through an organisation, but you do see them in projects, why do you think that is if it's such a key element? Because every time I talk to a data leader, the biggest, not the biggest challenge, but the biggest hurdle to overcome when you're driving change is the, that change management piece and getting people to look at things differently. And that's actually a role in itself. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, we we do expect our technical professionals to have that skill set and it's it, it is getting in a bit of unicorn territory to, yeah. to be expecting that of them. Uh, I do think you absolutely need access to change management resources. And so whether they need to sit in the team, I think if you can afford to create change roles, dedicated change roles in your analytics team, you should do it absolutely 100%. Um, if you can't and, you know, it's part of a funded project, then you need to to buy in change roles um, that can help you deliver that or tap into a centralised, you know, PMO um, that might have a, a change function within it. Um, I think I think the analytics translator role yeah. that sort of popped up in a lot of places is attempting to cover that, but it usually focuses more on the start of the value chain, yeah. the requirements gathering sort of strategy side of things right. and doesn't pick up on the change side of things. So... Think we're on to something, <laughs> and maybe we can drive yeah that change in the market because yeah it's incredibly powerful role. Um, and let's see if we can make it a mainstay in every analytics team in you know three years time. Yeah, I mean, look, because because you're right, we're, we're definitely seeing um, you know that role where you know you've got the the, the sort of it's called t- typically called like a data business analyst, right? So the translator role where they're sort of the conduit between the business and the analysts or the developers, and they're understanding what the business needs, and and there will usually be actually a, a, a typically a data professional who's gone into more of a a BA type role. Um, but you're right, once that's sort of done, how do you then 
implement that change. Um, so it, it is an interesting one. And, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I think these people do exist um, and, and can be people that have got a data background and, and have, you know, have the desire to want to play that role. So it could be one of those things. But it is a really yeah. Um, and, and may not be a permanent position that needs to exist in the team, but certainly over that transitional period, um, you know, when you're going from a business that's heavily, you know, focused on Excel reports to trying to, you know, automate and simplify and accept that they're going to receive an automated report in their inbox every week, um, even just something simple, you know, they're just they're just not comfortable with, you know, being able to change that mindset is is so important from a from a granular level. Um, yeah. So you know, definitely, yeah, awesome. Um, and then I suppose executive buy-in because that's you know that's the that's ultimately the biggest hurdle. So how do you get executive buy-in for a data strategy? So I think it depends on where your exact exec teams at in terms of their knowledge and understanding of, of data and analytics and its um, and its potential. Um, so in one of my past roles, I would say it took a good two years to really educate the board and the exec around the value of data and analytics, the challenges that we faced and why we needed investment. And we got the investment, you know, significant investment at the end of the day, but a good two years really. So it's not an easy feat. Um, and what I found really resonates is, again, like I was talking about before, we don't go talking about the tech that we're building. Um, that's obviously part of the strategy, but that's not what we're focusing on because that's not, you know, translating to outcomes for, for execs. Um, so we talk about the, the real-world examples, and I call them done things that we do today, yeah. um, and trying to, to find those. So in my banking days, we had examples, real-world examples that I would pull out of the data, sort of go fishing, knowing where I was looking for, go fishing yeah. for it, find something, you know, suitable, of someone, for example, that would had told us we had transcript, you know, maybe from a call, or um, part of an um, interview with a banker or something, they would tell us, I'm in the market for a home. And because they didn't meet the profile, or the marketing profile of the selection criteria that, that would normally um, be applied to, to market mortgage um, opportunities, for example, um, we had then sent them, I think, like a credit card, credit limit increase, those mm -hmm. sorts of um, communications for every month for like the next 12 months. Dumb things. They told us one thing explicitly and then we've ignored that and, and sent our own comms for the, the remaining 12 months. And so that's like a big um, revenue opportunity that you're you're missing out on there. Um, there was another one, um, I think it was a, a wealth, like a, a retiree sort of age um, and again, so they, they were the retirement age. They told us um, that they wanted to, I don't know, maybe invest in investment properties or something like that. And we'd sent them term deposit sort of savings offers um, continually. So look for those real world examples of the dumb things that you're doing today, um, even from a process perspective, because again, it can be hard to translate, get, get non-technical people to understand the pain yeah. of of the technical world that you live in in the yeah. analytics space at times. So explaining things like, um, you know, this process takes, um, well, we had a process in, in one of my organisations that had about six different flips from SAS code into VBA code, then back into SAS and then into VBA and then a spreadsheet. And um, it could only be run on one laptop that had the processing power to wow. be able to run that process um, and that belonged to one person. And so if that one person was away on leave or whatever it might be, then the whole thing fell apart. So I think you've got to really tell those stories and paint the picture for people to understand the real impact about the, you know, the environment that you're operating in today and then what the real possibilities are. So, again, talking explicitly to the ability to, um, you know, be able to construct event pathways of customer buying experience, for example, and say we can add, um, we can understand the impact of each of these 
um, customer moments Mm -hmm. um, on their satisfaction or NPS at the end of that experience. And so through that analysis, we can then be able to trigger when somebody's moving off a positive NPS path and be able to intervene and do something about it. So you need to, yeah, really paint the stories um, and avoid talking about just building tech. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it almost sounds like you kind of need to highlight the things that the organisation's perhaps not doing so well to almost yeah. buy it. Oh, yeah, you need some brutal, brutal yeah. honesty. Yeah. And I think um, if you've got the money, engaging consultancies, mm. I mean, they are so good at the PowerPoint packs. I mean, they hate using Macs. They want to be more than that. But um, <laughs> they are so good at the polish on those sorts of presentations and yeah. really um, resonating with your, your board and execs. So if you can afford it, getting some external help. And it, it brings a bit of a credibility factor. I mean, whether that should be the case um, over internal uh, capabilities is another thing, but, you know, every little bit helps. So yeah, yeah I, I would recommend um, if you can afford to to engage an external consultancy. Yeah, absolutely. And have you found in your um, throughout your career that there are particular parts of the board or the exec team that tend to be, um, you know, on board quicker than others? And if so, what areas do you find struggle to understand um, the landscape of of data, for example? You know, do you find that? Um, you know, it's the operational parts of the business or do you find it's the, you know, the the more kind of legal compliance part of the business? You know, is there, are there certain it's, uh, sort of levels of execs or groups of execs or boards that you find uh, are more um, require more um, convincing? I think there are some generalisations. So um, CMOs, marketing functions are normally more um, familiar with sort of digital capability and the power of customer data. So they're usually easier to get on board. Um, You mentioned legal. So legal and risk are always thinking about what could go wrong. So they're thinking about, um, oh, that that makes me nervous (laughs) about the use of customer data that you are proposing there. and so I think you need, you know, that real focus then on data governance and mm-hmm. how you're going to put the right guardrails in place to ensure privacy and ethics and, and yeah. those sorts of things. Um, tech could go either way, depending on your relationship with, with the technology function. Yes. Um, so I've had probably both experiences, um, but you need to get them on side. So, yeah, I think that's um, a tricky one. And operations, again, could probably go either way. If you've got somebody, you know, um, a tech savvy or a digital savvy um, exec um, that understands, you know, the value of, of what you're offering, then they could that could be really positive. Um, probably less at the exec level, probably, you know, more at the operational level. Yeah. And you're going to face into some um, change challenges there because, you know, you're potentially automating people's jobs. Yeah. Um, and so it's all about the messaging of, you know, helping them move up the maturity curve in terms of the the type of work that they're then doing instead of having to do that manual work. And yeah. um, it should be a positive a positive message that, yeah. you know, this, this manual work that you're performing today that's, um, you know, stopping you from getting to these really value-add activities, you know, that's what we're trying to automate. We're not trying to get rid of your job. But, um, you know, it's, it is a sensitive space. Yeah. So it's it's really varied, but I think um, at the end of the day, it comes down to you know with board as well. Just do you have tech savvy and how digital savvy are your board and exec mm-hmm. team? And you know that can really vary. And yeah, that's where you get you know those potential two years that it takes to educate um, if you're starting from a really low base. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you often also. Um, could be faced with with a board or an exec team where um, they want to become, um, you know, data-driven because your competitors are doing that. And that's that's dangerous because if you're just doing it because everyone else is doing it but you don't know why and you don't have the right person in the driving seat to drive that data strategy, it could go wrong. Yes. I remember the days of the Silicon Valley visits from the boards 
um, I don't know, probably a good 10 years ago yeah. um, in my my banking life and they'd go for the visit, yeah, the tour of Silicon Valley and come back and say, oh, are we doing chatbots? Are we doing yeah. AI? Are we doing this? Are we yeah. doing that? And then you'd have to, you know, uh, roll your eyes <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, yeah, explain, you know, all of the things that we are doing or that are on the radar or, you know, try and explain the hurdles without, appearing negative um it's it's a tricky one yeah 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 yeah, no definitely but I think ultimately it's about ensuring that you've got everyone on board and they understand why and what you're trying to do I think ultimately as opposed to just doing it because your competitors are doing it because if you don't really know um we talk about this a lot you know perspective versus reality (laughs) so you know you might look like you know they are but you know what are they doing internally what you know what are they actually getting out of it uh you know there's all those things that you need to sort of um you know peel back and and look at you know what you can and can't achieve as a as an organization um but no so much um you know I think it's it's been great and what you just talked about there and you know the question around the different sort of parts of the exec team and the different groups that are, are present there, I think um, helps to visualise what what elements your data strategy needs to cover because they're all the, you know, they're the, all the areas that you're going to need to influence in terms of demonstrating the value that you're providing. So um, I think it's important that your data strategy covers every single component of that from the onset so that you've, you know, you, you've addressed all of those Um so no, thank you so much for that. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, you know, I always like to ask this question because we, we touched on there, you know, uh, uh, earlier on about the technology um, and, you know, you you once you've made a decision, this is what you're going to go with. You, you've just almost got to run with it and then make sure that it is transferable or transitionable because technology is changing so quickly. And this is a conversation, again, I have with a lot of tech, uh, you know, data leaders is um, how do you stay relevant or how do you build something that can then be without the heavy costly investment can be moved across or transitioned across um so you know that the the landscape in which we're in just moves so quickly so from your perspective how do you see the industry um evolve over the next three to five years what are you seeing what trends do you think we're going to see yeah i found um the whole technology side of things quite daunting in my early leadership roles because I always say I'm not a technologist. Mm-hmm. You know, my background's more in the maths and science space. Yeah. And in fact, I hated programming at university. And <laughs> um, I would describe, you know, when I was a, a practitioner on the tools, I knew enough coding to be able to get the job done from an analytical perspective, but it wasn't where my skills um really lay and mm-hmm. that's partly why I found my way into to management so I thought there's always going to be better coders and better statisticians than me um I think I've, I've got an edge in the strategy and, and leadership space so um so technology unit you know, can be daunting and even when I look today at the boom of open source and and just yeah. um other technologies I would be so overwhelmed <laughs> as a practicing uh, a practicing analyst. Um, how do we keep up with the just the vast numbers of tech um, and new new capabilities that are, are constantly being launched? And there's some really good visualizations um, Matt Turk does. Um, if you haven't seen them, I think they've been going for about ten years, and they start out with just a one pager of all of the brands. Um, that are associated with the different parts. Of, it was originally pitched as a big data um, life cycle or, or a landscape. And then it shows, you know, each year and then sort of 10 years on, mm-hmm. there's, you know, a hundredfold um, growth in, wow. in the number of tech brands. So it's unrealistic to think that as an analytics leader, you can have a grasp of every technology offering that's out there. So I think first and foremost, like, Take the pressure off and just accept defeat there, yeah. and admit that you you're never going to know everything. Um, and so then it's about calling on your network. So um, if I need to make a tech decision, then I'm calling on data architects and I'm consulting, um, uh, you know, vendors, agencies, um, tech companies. Um, but I think having a really good understanding of your user requirements and your evaluation criteria. So what what do we need and why do we need it? 
um, who is it that we're that will be using this um, tech and um, what are we trying to solve for? Um, because every vendor is going to have a great sales pitch about what their products can do. So you need to go into that um, decision with a really clear understanding about what you're evaluating um, and make it as objective as possible. Um, I think there'll be some, uh, that's probably one of the values um, or benefits of not being a technologist is that um, I don't necessarily have affinities for particular tools. for me, you know, it's about getting the job done and um, I think I can be a bit more objective around that evaluation. Um, some tech leaders have, you know, real, I feel really passionately about certain tools and, and tech stacks, um, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you've just got to be able to make sure that, that you're evaluating in, a, in an objective way. Um, and then when you're building and sort of implementing, it comes down to, I guess, the standards and design processes and principles those are the things that are portable and scalable um you know there will be some migration effort if you do choose to to migrate or change tools and tech in future um that's just reality but it's about minimizing that through reusable um scripts and and standards and um test processes and and those sorts of things Um, Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing um, your sort of experience and, and insights into, you know, what those strategies can look like and what things to consider. I think, uh, yeah, there's been some really, really great um, information shared here, Catherine. Um, I know that you're very, um, you know, you're very well networked and you 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 tend to go to a lot of these events and, and share your, um, you know, share your sort of experiences there. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you through LinkedIn, are you happy for them to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I welcome expanding my network and being able to chit-chat about data and analytics. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Catherine. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity, Rena.